The following program was made possible by a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. American citizens have the right to be provided work so that they can support their families decently and properly. Now is the time to fight, to fight for the best interests of our city, and we have... Public housing was finally recognized as a proper function of government. It's not done by speeches. The LaGuardia Archives at LaGuardia Community College of the City University of New York presents The Dreamer and the Doer, The Life and Work of Fiorello LaGuardia, with narrator Tony LoBianco. Don't you feel rather ashamed when you growls and complain the meat is tough or that you can't get the right kind of shade of stockings that you wanted or that you can't get something else when men are dying. On September 2nd, 1939, Fiorello LaGuardia announced to the people of New York the beginning of the Second World War. In a city of this size, there will be division of opinion. But may I say that the battles will be fought on the fields of Europe. They cannot be fought or settled on the streets of New York. As the world crisis deepened, Fiorello hoped to play a role that would take him out of New York and onto the national stage. Over the years, LaGuardia's reputation had grown as a congressman, as a mayor of the nation's largest city, and as head of the U.S. Conference of Mayors. He addressed audiences across the country, speaking out against Hitler and contrasting fascism with democracy. A large number of the people of the world are living in the twilight of an unhappy age. We are happily approaching the dawn of a new day. As the twilight darkened and war swept over Europe, the mayor wanted to be in the middle of the fight. During the early months of 1940, Americans watched a terrible crisis unfold in Western Europe. One by one, the European democracies fell to the forces of Nazi Germany until only England remained to carry the fight against Hitler. As the Nazis were rolling across Europe toward England, America was undecided about whether to get involved in the war. Such divisions were particularly deep in New York, with its ethnic mix of Jews, Germans, Italians, Poles, and Irish placing sympathies on different sides of the conflict in Europe. While the debate continued, President Roosevelt had already taken the first step toward intervention by deciding to sell arms to Great Britain. In May 1940, Roosevelt addressed American people in his first fireside chat since the outbreak of war. There are some among us who are persuaded by minority groups that we could maintain our physical safety by retiring within our continental boundaries, the Atlantic on the east, the Pacific on the west, Canada on the north, and Mexico on the south. I illustrated the futility 
the impossibility of that idea in my message to the Congress last week. Obviously, a defense policy based on that is merely to invite future attack. FDR decided to broaden his cabinet to include Republicans as well as Democrats, an effort to show the Axis powers that America's political parties were united in their efforts to resist fascism. As the president searched for a new secretary of war, Fiorello was mentioned prominently. LaGuardia was a Republican. He was a friend and political ally of Roosevelt's, and he even had military experience as an aviator in World War I. Former city councilman Arthur Katzman believes that Fiorello wanted a high-level job in Washington. He felt that he had gone to New York City or done for New York City as much as he wanted to or could do or a combination of both could and wanted to do. But I think he would have loved dearly to be in Roosevelt's cabinet, uh, probably in, in state, in defense. He would have wanted a, an active role. Fiorello was passed over by the president, and the Secretary of War post went instead to another Republican, Henry Stimson. As a consolation, the president gave LaGuardia an appointment on the joint U.S.-Canadian board charged with coordinating defenses in the northern part of the Western Hemisphere. LaGuardia told the press he had been planning and dreaming about this sort of a job for two years. By the summer of 1940, many Americans were anxious to keep a proven leader in the White House, and Franklin Roosevelt decided to break precedent and run for a third term. To oppose the president, the Republicans nominated Wendell Wilkie, a Wall Street lawyer. And with the chant of, we want Wilkie, echoing from their convention hall, the GOP prepared to defeat FDR. But one leading Republican didn't want Wilkie. During the 1940 campaign, Fiorello continued to play the role of political maverick as he spoke out against Wilkie. I will now proceed to read quotations from the mouth or pen of Mr. Wendell Wilkie, who seemingly believes that anything goes in a campaign, that no responsibility attaches to a pledge, statement, or promise. Attack is closer than ever said Mr. Wilkie in Philadelphia on October the 4th. The United States is not in danger of immediate attack, said he on October the 8th in New York. Now let, let us travel to the Pacific Coast. For in San Francisco on September the 21st, Mr. Wilkie said, the loneliness of the United States is a direct result of the foreign policies of the last eight years. He had forgotten that in an interview reported in the New York Times on May the 5th, he had stated, the administration has done a pretty good job with reference to the foreign problem. Less than a month after this broadcast, 
Franklin Roosevelt was overwhelmingly re-elected to a third term as president. With war drawing ever closer, FDR decided on measures to strengthen the country, including the establishment of the Office of Civilian Defense, or OCD. The president appointed his wife, Eleanor, and LaGuardia as unpaid directors of OCD. The job of serving as OCD director, in addition to running the city, seemed to overwhelm Fiorello. Even with the mayor's abundant energy, each Tuesday through Thursday, LaGuardia was in Washington at OCD. The rest of the time, he tried to run New York. Fiorello also decided to seek re-election to a third term in 1941. The issue is now clear-cut. It is between scientific, efficient, honest city government, non-political and non-partisan, and political machine-controlled government. It is not a contest between personality. It is a contest between two diametrically opposed systems of municipal government. The 1941 election campaign was one of LaGuardia's toughest races. The Democrats accused Fiorello of being a part-time mayor, and many New Yorkers seemed to agree. After eight years, the voters began to grow dissatisfied with LaGuardia's style of leadership. Councilman Arthur Katzman. This constant uh, emotionalism and, and uh, bizarre ways of doing some things began to jar on people, and uh, they became disillusioned with him. Fiorello still retained the loyalty of a great number of New Yorkers who remembered that the mayor had brought in millions of dollars worth of federal relief programs during the Depression and that he had cleaned up corruption in the city. My pledge to the people of this city will be to continue good government. The city of New York has now officials in charge of the functional departments of this city who are specialists, trained men, and competent, forming a cabinet for ability and specialized knowledge and efficiency, the like of which does not exist in any government in this country. During the campaign, LaGuardia received a ringing endorsement from President Roosevelt. The Democratic candidate, William O'Dwyer, in retrospect, described the election as a popularity contest that no opponent of LaGuardia could win. That 1941 campaign had nothing in the nature of a, of a basic criticism of Fiorello LaGuardia or his administration. Fiorello one day uh, was in the marketplace uptown New York, I think it was around 125th Street. He picked up a head of cabbage and he said, it looks like my opponent. <laughs> that was Fiorello's. And anyone that would take offense at a thing like that just didn't belong in politics to begin with. On election day, the vote was close. The early returns indicated that O'Dwyer would be the winner. Gradually, the lead shifted. Fiorello won re-election by the smallest majority of any mayor since the turn of the century. Following his victory, LaGuardia resumed his travels as director of OCD, but it had become apparent that he was unsuited to the job. Fiorello lacked the finesse necessary to work with the nation's governors to set up state civil defense committees. And he ran into another problem. 
sharing the director's role with Eleanor Roosevelt. Goodview Livingston worked for the mayor. He didn't get on with Eleanor. I mean, he liked Eleanor. I mean, he admired her. And she, in a funny way, admired him. But they just were personalities that just didn't clue in on a job of this kind. Many Americans still believed the nation would somehow stay out of the war. These hopes were brutally destroyed in the skies over Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. Soon after news of the Japanese attack reached New York, Fiorello was on the air. I want to warn the people of this city that we are in an extreme crisis. Anyone familiar with world conditions will know that the Nazi government is masterminding Japanese policy and the action taken by the Japanese government this afternoon. It was carrying out the now known Nazi technique of murder by surprise. Therefore, I want to warn the people of this city and on the Atlantic coast that we must not and cannot feel secure or assured because we are on the Atlantic coast and the activities this afternoon have taken place in the Pacific. We must be prepared for anything at any time. The next day, Fiorello and Mrs. Roosevelt, in their capacity as directors of OCD, flew to California to help restore calm to a civilian population fearful of an imminent Japanese invasion. A few days later, Fiorello was back in New York organizing air raid drills and providing for emergency shelters in case of a possible attack. My friends, we must toughen up. We have our homes and our lands to defend now. We must remain cool and yet determined. We are aware of the danger ahead, but unafraid. all of you able men tension if you've got the strength to lift up a gun tension all you recruits lace up your boots that's if you really can stand right up and shout for uncle sam hip hip hooray we're living in the usa come on you yanks all howler thing Hip, hip, hooray, yes, hip, hip, hooray, Americans will always say, we like it here, stand up and cheer, hip, hip, hooray, every girl and boy can find romance beneath star-spangled skies, there's lots of fun for everyone in our land of paradise. 
hip, hip, hooray. We're living in the USA. Let freedom ring, come on and sing. Hip, hip, hooray. Today, Fiorello's warnings sound altogether out of proportion to the actual threat posed by the enemy's warplanes in 1941. But after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, no one could be sure. Defense preparations were underway in cities and towns across the country. This was the effort LaGuardia had sought to organize as director of OCD. Now with the crisis finally at hand, all his work proved inadequate. The Civil Defense Committee were ineffective. LaGuardia was soundly criticized, not only by the press, but by his co-director, Eleanor Roosevelt. In February, the president forced him to resign. Now that uh, it's over, kind of feel sorry. I think the work was very important. And it should be conducted along lines of efficiency, streamlined, and brought right home to the municipalities. I, of course, uh, expect to keep up my interest in it and uh, have quite a bit to do right here in my own town. So I guess next week uh, it will be over. And then I guess I have to find something else to do, won't I? Fiorello was bitter and frustrated over his experience at OCD. He had wanted to play a national role in the war. And now he lost the opportunity. But the mayor did have plenty to do as New York's wartime leader. These reconnaissance are being conducted in order to make sure that all of our shore, shore lights are properly, properly dimmed. Submarines are close to our shores. And we must do nothing or leave nothing undone to afford the greatest protection to our shipping and do nothing that would give any aid or comfort to these enemy ships. Some New Yorkers resented additional restrictions on lighting in homes or on theater marquees and billboards. As the war continued, the threat to America's coastlines eventually disappeared, and so did the fear of air attack. Louis Yavna was a member of LaGuardia's administration. At the outset, there was a good deal of time and attention spent on problems of civilian defense. I think it was then realized that civilian defense was not a real problem for us. It was unlikely that there would be more than a token bombing of any place in America, and probably not even that and that on the whole, the way the war was going, America was pretty safe from any direct action. New Yorkers, like Americans everywhere, settled down to day-to-day -day problems of gas rationing and food shortages, which would continue for the duration of the war. These were the problems Fiorello talked about every Sunday during his weekly radio program over the city-owned station WNYC. One of his favorite topics was advising New Yorkers on how to deal with meat shortages. Now, here's something I have to say uh, that uh, may cause a little surprise. And that is, uh, I'm going to ask uh, all uh, housewives and mothers uh, to use mutton. Mutton may be an unfam unfamiliar dish to many New Yorkers. 
because we do not have a regular all-year-round supply of this merchandise to acquaint them with its distinctive qualities. Now, if you want to give the children a real treat, uh, just make a mutton pie for them. Uh, prepare the ordinary biscuit dough and have that for your bottom and side and cook your stew. Then put your, uh, your stew into the, uh, into the dough as you would a pie, a filler. And on top of that, put two or three inches of mashed potatoes. Then put that in the oven and let it brown. And will the kids eat it up? You bet they will, and they'll clean their platter clean, too. So, uh, try it. Louis Yavner says it was LaGuardia's style and delivery that kept people listening to his advice. Only LaGuardia, in our time, or a good actor, or stand-up comic, could have given the advice the way LaGuardia did, so that it was fun, and palatable, and entertaining. It was the combination of these things. If it were the commissioner of markets who had gotten up, and had he been the average person, nobody would have listened, nobody would hear it. But with LaGuardia, I know so many people that if they were going out on a Sunday morning, they would make sure that they heard the radio at 12 o'clock so that they could hear the very latest that LaGuardia had to say. Fiorello would discuss everything from the best buys in eggs and produce to the current supply of milk and poultry. We must all work harder. Oh, I've said that so many times. We must all do more. And we must all realize that we have to give up some things. Uh, don't you feel rather ashamed when you grouse and complain the meat is tough? Or that you can't get the right kind of shade of stockings that you wanted? Or that you can't get something else when men are dying. Yes, the number of yellow messages from the Western Union that were delivered the last few days was very large. We regret to inform you. That family has given up a great deal. That boy has given up his all. Through his broadcasts, Fiorello tried to inspire New Yorkers and lead them in the war effort. The mayor's words were probably instrumental in boosting morale, especially during the dark days of 1942. Then, as the Allies began winning victories, Fiorello would announce them to the city during his broadcasts. News from Africa, last 24 hours, sure was good. The taking of Tripoli is something more than capturing a city or the surrender of a military point or the loss of a naval station. With the taking of Tripoli goes the dream of an empire which Mussolini had for years and which brought the people of Italy to ruin. While Fiorello was giving these much-publicized talks to New Yorkers, he was also broadcasting a series of secret radio talks to Italy. The broadcasts, which were introduced as Mayor Calling Rome, had begun just after Pearl Harbor at the request of President Roosevelt. Next to Winston Churchill and FDR himself, 
Fiorello became the best-known Allied leader on the Italian peninsula. Thus, in 1943, as the Allies secured North Africa and prepared for the invasion of Italy, LaGuardia believed he might be able to serve in this theater of the war. After resigning from the Federal Office of Civil Defense, Fiorello never gave up his dream of getting back into the middle of the war effort. Seymour Graubard was one of the mayor's associates. I learned it's all secondhand about the mayor's desires to uh, get a new field of endeavor. He was getting uh, the feeling that he was outside the important area of action. Uh, we were at war, and he was still uh, doing the job of running the city of New York. He wanted something more than that. What LaGuardia wanted was the commission as Brigadier General. After a meeting with the president, Fiorello clearly believed he had it. In a letter to FDR's advisor, Harry Hopkins, the mayor wrote, I saw the chief yesterday, and I am so happy I can be of service to my country, besides cleaning the streets of New York City. The rumor of Fiorello's upcoming appointment was soon picked up by the press. The Herald Tribune reported, New York is about to lose a mayor, and the army is about to gain an officer. But in Washington, there was an intense struggle between FDR and the War Department over LaGuardia's appointment. Seymour Graubard. Roosevelt really tried to get it for him, too. And... Uh over at the uh, War Department, there were threats of resignations by people if uh, they had to deal with LaGuardia. That was because he was a strong-minded individual who knew that he had a public following and who uh, might go to the public to protest orders that he didn't like. LaGuardia's commission was eventually turned down. Biographer August Heckscher says the mayor was bitterly disappointed. It really was a cruel letdown for the mayor. It cost him dear in self-esteem and in power to control events within his own city. Nothing afterwards was to be quite the same for him. Fiorello still had over two years to serve as mayor of New York City, but it was clearly an anticlimax for a man whose career had so often put him at the very center of momentous affairs. Fiorello's profound sense of disappointment came through in a short letter written to one of the young men who had left his administration to enlist in the armed forces. He wrote, Between us, we'd chase the sons of heaven hell for leather to what is waiting for them. As it seems to be, though, you will have to do it alone. Fiorello LaGuardia, The Dreamer and the Doer, has been made possible by a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Most of the archival material for this series was provided by the LaGuardia Archives, by the New York City Municipal Archives and Records Center, and by WNYC. The project director is Richard K. Lieberman. The narrator was Tony Lobianco. Project coordinator, Susan Farkas. Senior consultant, Janet Lieberman. The scriptwriter is Dick Wirth. Administrator, Edwina Estrella. The researchers, Clifton Hood, Elliot Sparkman, Jean-Marie Francis, and Henry Majewski. The historical consultants, Roy Rosenzweig, Kenneth T. Jackson, Deborah Gardner, Paul Barrett, Thomas Kessner, Joshua Freeman, Mark Mason, Barbara Blumberg, and David Rosner. 
Special thanks to Idilio Grazia Peña. Original theme music is by Mark Lamparello. The recording engineer, Leszek Wojciech. The mixing engineer is Gary Fink. The associate producer, Susan Vernon. The producer is Tom Vitale.